0: In last week's episode, we tackled the first three of five animal welfare needs. This week, we're going to dive deep into the ones that pet parents probably fail at the most. My conversation with Dr. Emma Milne, who is a world-renowned veterinarian and animal welfare advocate, continues as we tackle this tough subject and the need for animals to, number one, be able to exhibit their natural behavior, and number two, to have appropriate companionship based on their species. If you're a pet parent or pet lover, you're not going to want to miss this episode, so stay tuned. You're listening to Starlight Pet Talk, a podcast for pet parents who want the best pet care advice from cat experts, dog trainers, veterinarians, and other top pet professionals who will help you live your very best life with your pets. We also share inspiring rescue and adoption stories from people who've taken their love of pets to the next level by getting involved in animal welfare. My name is Amy Castro, and I'm the founder and president of Starlight Outreach and Rescue and a columnist for Pet Age magazine. I've rescued thousands of animals and helped people just like you find the right pet for their family. My mission is to help pet parents learn all the ways that they can care for, live with, and even have fun with their pets so they can live their very best lives and their pets can too. So let's let's go ahead and move on to the tougher stuff. Need number four, you know, the need to express natural behavior. Yeah. And again, I think that's another thing that people don't have any clue. You know, there's the extremes. Either they have no clue or there's so many people that, you know, still are equating natural behavior in dogs to wolves and other things. And it's like, yeah, I think they, in many ways, have evolved past that. So that may not be accurate either. Where where are you seeing us go wrong as humans in this area? I think these are massive. I
1: mean, the behavioural and social needs, which are the two, you know, as I see them, the two sort of psychological needs, I think are really inextricably linked. So, if you're
0: happy to, let's talk about both yeah. of them together. Yeah, because um, yeah, five was whether whether they need companionship or whether they need to be with other animals, which some animals do and some animals don't.
1: Yeah, so, yeah and I think them together. I think these two these two mental well being needs are hugely misunderstood. So in the UK, we've got, I don't know what it's like in the States, but in the UK, we have about one and a half million rabbits are kept as pets. And the social needs are a real big one because, you know, if you want a rabbit, but not two rabbits, then a rabbit isn't the right pet for you because they have social needs. They're social animals. Classic thing was that people would think, well, I'm going to have this beautiful environment for my pet rabbit, so they won't need to dig. Well, you can't take away an innate need that an animal has. You know, rabbits want to dig. So if you want to be a good owner for a rabbit, you have to provide them with something that they can dig in. And it's this kind of human convenience thing. So, oh, I don't really want a big hutch and a run. I don't want the garden getting nibbled. Then a rabbit isn't the right pet for you. Cats are solitary animals and loads of crazy cat ladies have got millions of them um their behavioral needs are really misunderstood so cats are really subtle communicators the first two kids books that i wrote were cats and rabbits because they're the most misunderstood pets um and it's really difficult to get their behavioral and social needs right you know um so we already talked about declawing you know a normal cat behavior that they need to exhibit is clawing is it's conditioning for their claws, it's scent marking, it's this massive behavioural need. If you don't want a cat to claw stuff in your house, then a cat isn't the right pet for you. Going back to the extreme conformation, one of the talks I'm doing this week at the, this conference in, in Orlando is the behavioural impact of extreme conformation as well, because I think we're really used to talking about the physical stuff. But when you look at, for instance, well, as we touched on earlier with the sphinx cats, Can they groom properly? Can they do this fundamental behavioural need that they have? And I think meeting those behavioural needs is something that's massively misunderstood and neglected across pet keeping. The behaviour and social needs are something that really need much more investment from owners. Mm -hmm. And, And I think as vets, we... We should probably be much stronger on getting that across. I think one of, the, one of the big issues that vets always face is that people don't come to us for advice before they get an animal. <laughs> they only come to us once they've already got it. Right. And I think it's one of the things that I put in all my talks is that veterinary profession, we should be doing much more to try and, and get to people before they get animals. And it can be done in a diplomatic way. You know, it's mm-hmm. if you can't meet these five welfare needs, that isn't the right pet for you.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, for our veterinarians, because I do a lot of training and consulting in my business life with uh, with veterinarians is it's a struggle to try. You know, you're trying to keep your your client happy. You're trying to keep their business. You know, you're trying to do, you know, what's the best thing for the animal that now that they've already got. And it's really difficult. And I, I find this in rescue, too. It's really difficult to say you've made a mistake and mm. you need to you need to make a change. You know, you've gotten the wrong pet. So, yeah. They're kind of between a rock and a hard place to a certain degree. And the thing is, uh, having
1: been on the other end of it, I years ago when I was in practice, I was really shocked that I, I took this phone call and this lady said to me, oh, I'm I'm thinking about getting a dog, but um, I wanted to get your advice about what sort of breed to get. And I was like, wow, this never happens. <laughs> um, and she said, oh, I was thinking about getting a Basset. And I, I said, Oh, you, you know, they've, they've got loads of health issues, you know, really, really severe health issues because of their confirmation and, and so on. And she said, Oh, well, what about? And then she came up, up, up with something else. And I said, Well, yeah, they're better, but still, you know, you've picked a breed that is very prone to this, this and this. And in the end, she, she got really angry with me because obviously it's that I've got lots of friends who are, um, vets obviously and you know we talk about brachycephalic breeds and things and and i've got so many vets who've said oh someone in my own family asked me if what i thought about them getting a french bulldog and the vet said definitely don't get a french bulldog and then they just go and get one anyway (laughs) so even when we try and give people advice pre-purchase often it's ignored anyway um, but I think it's a it's I don't a think re- people really
0: want to hear it. They they just want you to to reinforce what they already want to do. It's like when my yeah. husband used to hold up two ties and he'd say, "Which tie do you think I should wear?" And I'd say, "This one, uh, the one on the right." And he'd say, "Well, are you sure?" Because da 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 da. And it's like, no, I think still the one on the right. And again, I, I give you three tries. Right by the time I've said the one on the right three times. I'll just say, look, it sounds like you want to wear the one on the left. Wear what you want, you know? Yeah, why why did you ask? (laughs) Why did you ask me in the first place along the way? Yeah, Um, exactly. When we talked before, uh, and it sounded like maybe you didn't want to – I want to go down this road about the indoor-outdoor cat thing when it comes to behavior because, you know, at least in in my experience and the research that I have done, that indoor cats tend to live longer lives. You know, length and quality, I know, are not necessarily the same thing, which has gotten mm-hmm. me really to think about it some more. But in many communities in the United States, it's not even legal to have an outdoor free-roaming cat. But people yeah. do it. You know, it's like nobody does anything about it until your neighbors get fed up, they trap it, and it ends up at, at animal control. I, I'm kind of breaking two of the two of the needs with my own personal cats because they're exclusively indoors and I've got three of them living together, which, you know, you had mentioned that cats are more solitary beings. I'd be lying if I said I don't see the some of the negative aspects of doing what I'm doing. Um, Yeah. From the standpoint of, you know, it's like sometimes they seemingly get along and other times they're smacking each other around and then somebody's peeing on the kitchen counter, you know, kind of thing. And it's like Mm -hmm. and it was interesting. But after we had that discussion the other day, there was an article that popped up on my actually it was on my Facebook feed from the New Yorker talking about the no kill movement and trap neuter return, which is a big Controversial thing in the U.S. I don't know if it is other places as well. And, you know, the impact of basically saying, okay, we don't want to kill community cats, but we can't bring them indoors because they're feral. So we're trap neutering and returning them. And then they're decimating the bird population, mice, things like that. And it, you know, it had this, the graphic was very interesting, as the New Yorker graphics always are. It was an aerial view of a seemingly suburban environment and then these giant. God, and they weren't monster faces, but the size of these cats were like Godzilla making their way through the neighborhood, kind of thing. Yeah, and it's like, okay, so what's the right answer there? You know, let's, you know, as far as far as the natural behavior of going outside, let's address yeah. that first.
1: I think it's it's tricky, and obviously there are massive cultural differences between Europe and the US and and lots of other countries. I went to a talk at a massive conference years and years ago. I must be. 15 or 20 years ago and there was a speaker from the states um talking about cat behavior and they had there was some statistic and i can't remember it now because it was so long ago but it was absolutely shocking about the number of cats that are euthanized in the states because of inappropriate toileting behavior um i do quite a bit of clinical nutrition advice as well um and a lot of the calls that we get um, regarding prescription foods are for cats that are urinating in the house or have got stress cystitis or all those things. So one of my things is are uh, the the kids' books that I wrote are called uh, Is a Cat the Right Pet for You? The Pet Dissective series, Is a Gerbil the Right Pet for You? Those kind of things. And the big issue with cats is... We would never, well, some people do. You wouldn't have a dog and keep it indoors. Why do we expect a cat that is in the wild? Cats have a territory of about 500 square meters, um, average. Not many houses are going to provide that, uh, environment. So, this whole thing about providing a, a, an adequate environment for your animals, as we, t- you know, when we went through the five welfare needs,
0: mm-hmm. the
1: environment thing is, yeah, for a dog, easy, buy it a bed, you know, or let it sleep in your bedroom, wherever you're going to do it, and you take it out for walks and you, you meet its needs. But the cats, why do we assume that they'd be happy indoors? They're not happy indoors. There's a huge, very, very well-evidenced research that shows that, that the biggest cause of stress-related issues in cats is being kept indoors and being kept with other cats. Um, So... <sighs> It comes down to this. Is an animal the right pet for you? And probably if, well, it's difficult because I know that loads of cats are kept in, in in the States. And I've had people attack me on Facebook, other vets even, um, from the US who said, well, but if I let them out, they're going to get eaten by coyotes. Well, obviously I, we don't have that problem in the UK. <laughs> you know, we don't have these free roaming, um, massive predators, but. For me, it comes back to if you cannot meet the behavioural needs of an animal, and to me, going outside is a behavioural need for a cat. And one of the big issues in in lots of places with wildlife, there's a very famous uh, presenter in England on wildlife called Chris Packham, and he is a very vocal proponent of people not letting cats out because of the, the volume of wildlife that they kill. Right. So, we've domesticated cats and we have to take responsibility for the fact that they're there. So, we do need to do TNR schemes and things, but we also need to, you know, if the same as with the physical illnesses of the pedigree animals, if you want to make animal welfare better, we probably need to have fewer of them and look after them better and gradually reducing populations is a difficult thing to do um yes so for me i know this will be really odd to hear for a lot of your us uh listeners i don't think cats should be kept indoors i absolutely am against cats being kept indoors um they need to have one of the fundamental things that's that's important for animal mental well-being is freedom of choice So, you know, this one thing that we talk about with rabbits is don't have a hutch and a run. You have a hutch and a massive run that they can access whenever they want to, because they're crepuscular animals, which means they're active at dawn and dusk, same as cats. And it's not convenient for us. So we put them out in the day when they don't want to be out, you know. So I think if I was going to change the face of pet keeping, I would want everyone to have to prove that they knew what the five welfare needs were for the animal they're thinking about getting and that they had to prove they could meet them. And it, you would transform – well, you know this working in rescue. You know, how many animals do you get in because people didn't want them scratching the furniture or the dog's uncontrollable because they didn't socialise it properly or they didn't – you know, you'll see it all the time. Um, yeah, it is that definitely. inappropriate choice of of pet. Um, and, and people have to have the discipline. This is why in the kids' books – they do their month and then they ask themselves, can I meet the needs of this pet? And mm-hmm. And the last chapter is it's all right to say no. You know, if you realize mm-hmm. that you didn't have enough space for a rabbit or you didn't have enough time to walk a dog every day, then that's fine. And then it looks like, well, it doesn't mean you can't have a pet, but maybe just think about a pet that you're going to have this symbiotic relationship with. Um, you know mutually, mutually beneficial relationship where you're providing its needs and and the thing is you'll see this all the time in rescue a lot of animal behavior issues which will end up making them come to you are because their needs their behavioral needs aren't being met so you right. know things like frustration destructive behavior cats urinating in the house all the time they are because those animals behavioral and social needs are not being met right. and you know we we just don't see that the same as we would if someone starved a dog um it's a very easy thing to get upset about but actually right. the mental well-being is is enormous yeah
0: you know and i think specific to this issue of cats what it got me thinking about is There's a rescue, and I can't remember the name of the rescue, but it's a huge rescue that has a big following that's in the northern United States where it gets a million degrees below zero in the wintertime. And so they get a lot of outdoor cats that literally their ears will freeze off. So they have all these cats that have partial ears and and sometimes missing toes and parts of their tails, things like that. And so but it gets it got me thinking about the fact that when it comes to to looking at this environment, it's beyond the inside and outside, it is looking at, you know, where do you live? What might be one of the differences between cats homes in the in the US versus the UK? would be like, my backyard, should I want to let my cats out, is probably easily an acre, an acre and a half. And so, but at the same time, (laughs) I have had goats hauled over my fence by (laughs) a cougar. (laughs) Um, I've had all of my ducks got decimated by coyotes. We've got bobcats. And I am outside the fourth largest city in the United States, not too far, about an hour outside of the city. Could I do something to secure my backyard to give my cats some territory to be outside uh, with certain cat proof fencing? Absolutely, I could do that. You know, we, we just adopted out to a lady because it, we require cats to be indoors unless you have made those accommodations because of the legalities, because of the predators. Um, you know, for right, wrong, or otherwise, that's a decision that, that we made. And, but, um, you know, this lady had gone to the trouble of getting that cat proof fencing for her suburban backyard. So it's like, okay, then you can have the cat and put it outside and it's probably going to have a, a happier life. And I think mm-hmm. that just kind of goes, goes back to the overall picture that we're talking about is that you know, as you're going through these five needs of pets is that you, like you said, I mean, you said it and and I'll say it again, is, you know, you really need to look at whether you can provide it. How far are you willing to go to uh-huh. provide what that animal's needs? And if it's not, and if you're not willing to even take a basic step, like putting up a fence or taking the dog for a walk 30 minutes a day, then you really need to question whether you need a pet you know any kind of pet, let alone that particular type of pet. Yeah, and I think people people just need to be more honest with themselves and and maybe not be so selfish.
1: Yeah, but and and that I mean, myself that's, included. You, but we all do it, you know. We, uh, I think it it is just it's human nature. We we want something, and we don't want someone to tell us we can't have it. Um. Yeah. <laughs> watch me (laughs) yeah and i but the thing is you know if you take this to its natural nth degree then you get into the someone saying well what about all the people that have children that they can't look after properly and it's like oh wait this is yeah but it's true you know people make snap decisions um i want this therefore i will have it and you know we live in this sort of one-click culture where People can get whatever they want. And I think, you know, going back to the behavioral and social needs, um, and you can tell me your views on this from the state's point of view, is that we have huge issues now with the welfare of exotic pets. So we've got snakes and geckos and all sorts of things being kept. Things like snakes, minimum enclosure sizes for snakes, they don't have to be able to stretch out. Now, who has decided that a snake should never be able to stretch itself to its full length if it wanted to who made that decision um and a lot of the as we said with rabbits a lot of this is based on grandfather things that happened before my husband used to do a lot of exotic work he's a vet and um he would regularly get uh, leopard geckos in with these lesions on their chins because they spend all day running into the side of their vivarium, So that should tell you that those animals are not suitable for captivity.
0: Right.
1: You know, it's as simple right. as that. It's You know, if we don't even understand the basic needs of them, we shouldn't be having them as pets. Um right. You know, and things like tortoises that are kept in completely inadequate temperatures and never get to hibernate and lose limbs because they're poorly hibernated. You know, the list goes on. If we can't meet the basic welfare needs of things like cats and dogs that we've kept in captivity forever, why on earth are we adding another thousand species um, that aren't native to where we live? And this one of the big issues with cats in general is that they're not native to most places, but Mm -hmm. we have to take responsibility for the fact that we've domesticated them and they're now bloody everywhere, (laughs) you know, so.
0: Well, um, yeah, and we've we've brought them here, you know, we brought them to these locations where, you know, even if they can get outdoors, they're not suited to the environment. Because I think, you know, that's, I, I think a huge difference between dogs and cats in being outdoors is that if I let my dog, well, down here, at least here in the states, and and I'll speak to Texas specifically. If your dog was free roaming, everybody'd be talking about it. Somebody'd be catching him and returning him to you, or turning him into the shelter, or whatever the case may be. But cats free roam everywhere, and dogs. There's not too many now. Could a if a if the one cougar that apparently roams our area, you know, yeah, it probably could get my dog. But I think my cats are much more at at risk as prey. Yeah, because they're predators and prey, whereas dogs, for the most part, in most communities are really just predators. They're not there's not too much that, you know, that can prey on them. Yeah, that's you know, that makes a little bit of a difference, I think, down here. But again, that's our choice when we decide to take that animal on as a pet. So now knowing that my cat is predator and prey, how do I meet its needs and keep it safe? Because that's, you know, that's part of one of its needs is to, you know, to be healthy and be safe. And so maybe I I don't need a cat out here, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. I mean,
1: but it it is that thing, isn't it? um, You know, we have a lot of RTAs um, in England where cats have horrific injuries on the road. And I know that there are lots of people who say, well, that's why I keep my cat in. But I think, you know, to me, it's the same as if I said, well, I've got two children, they might have an injury, they might break a leg or they might break an arm or whatever, as lots of kids do. But I wouldn't just keep them in the house and make them miserable in case something happened to them. I think there's a balance between meeting the behavioural needs of your pets and choosing the right pet for your situation. And actually in the States, if they're not allowed out, then maybe fewer people should have them. Do you know right. what I mean? If yeah, you've got exactly. a massive garden and you can afford to put a, a cat-proof fence around it, brilliant. You know, you're providing for all the behavioral needs of that animal. Um and right. I think you know this whole thing of of telling people um I'm probably going to get loads of hate mail from this but I think telling <laughs> people too,
0: that's
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> telling people that they can't meet the needs of an animal is unpopular. Um right. but I th- but it's something that we should be talking about because, you know, having a pet is a—you should be providing for all of its needs, whether they're convenient or not. You know, and and this whole debarking, decloring, keeping them in, you know, having a run that's separate from a hutch. We shouldn't be compromising on animals' welfare needs because it's because it's inconvenient for us. You know, if, yeah. if something is too inconvenient, then that isn't the right pet for you.
0: We're going to take a super quick break and we'll be right back. Our pets aren't in our lives nearly long enough. So isn't it important that we build the best relationship with them that we can? Let us help. Get our exclusive guide, 10 tips for building a lifelong bond with your pet and start transforming your relationship today. Get it at bit.ly forward slash bond with my Yeah. Well, and, I, and it, it becomes, I think, kind of a, a cyclical thing. Like you like you mentioned, it's like, you know, maybe it's not the right pet for you. Maybe we need fewer of those pets to be out there as an option for people, um, like the exotics. I mean, there's just some of those things. It's like, why did anybody ever decide that we need to go grab that thing from some other continent and, you know, stuff it in a crate and ship it here so that somebody can have this anomaly in their you know in their in their home i don't know um mm. but i but i think you know that it also brings up the question and it's you really got me thinking this this past week about the whole you know back to the cats and the indoor outdoor thing is that um you know quality of life versus quantity of life you know to say oh well because you keep a cat indoors it might live to be i don't know i, I don't know what the stats 20. are ahead yeah 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 20 years old but you know i have right now in in my barn, six barn cats. And at least in the last two years, two of them have disappeared. Um, one of them we did find. Something obviously got it. And so you say, okay, well, that cat only made it to six or that cat only made it to three. And I think it's hard as, you know, for human beings, we spend this, we spend a lot of time projecting our projecting our needs on our pets, projecting our behaviors on them. Like even the, you know, the need to express natural behavior. It's like people think that, or, or the social, let's take the social as an example. Well, my bunny doesn't need another bunny because I'm playing with my bunny and interacting with my bunny. It's like, how do you know your bunny really wants to interact with you? I mean, they might, but they can't tell you that they can't tell you I'm longing for another bunny to, to hang out with. I mean, you just have to look at what their natural behavior is. And so my barn cats, you know, I wish they could say to me, Hey, we're living the life out here. And, you know, if I get picked off by a coyote tomorrow, I would have been glad to have those five years versus the 20 years that the cat that's living inside, you know, I, they can't tell us. And so we've got to make our best judgment for them and try our best to meet these, to meet these needs. I think
1: that's right. You know, you've, you've hit it on the head there. It is that quality of life versus quantity. Um, And I think as humans, you know we want them to to live as long as possible of course we do because we've got them for companionship but mm-hmm. for me it's much more important that the animals are emotionally cared for for their emotional needs you know their behavioral and social needs are so important and i i, I do think it's you know it makes for uncomfortable conversations but you know as i said with our kids they had to prove to me that they were going to look after the the gerbils and they looked after them really well. I mean, there were times obviously that I ended up clearing them out and as, as we always do as parents, but you know, I, I think it's this, the, the, the fact that people think that they're entitled to have any animal they want without going through that process of Am I the right person to have that animal, you know? Um, and I think that meeting animals' behavioural and social needs is, is hugely lacking, actually, for a lot of um, animals that are kept as pets. I would love there to be a test that people had to pass if they ever wanted any animal. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, just, you know, this, this proof of can you meet its needs? and and be honest with yourself you know yeah I, you know that's the key that, that's the fundamental thing yeah you might want we've all got things we want I want a, another dog I would love another dog but I cannot meet its needs because I travel too much and right. I, I, I'm single now so I, I don't have someone that I can leave the dog with um, and a lot of my friends work so you have to be honest with yourself. Can I look after this right. animal? Can I meet its five welfare needs? Do I know what its five welfare needs are? And if mm-hmm. I can't, then it's not the right pet for me. You know, and right. I think it, it takes it takes a lot for people to actually to go through that cognitive process and, and be honest. You know, we can all right. ask the questions, but we've got to actually act on the answers.
0: Yeah. And I think thinking long term too my daughter says i'm a, a bit of an ageist when it comes to adoptions because i get very concerned when somebody is 18 years old or 80 years old and wants to and it's not necessarily those exact numbers but on either end of the of the adult spectrum um you know when they say they want to take on a kitten or they want to take on a puppy or whatever the case may be we've had, we've had people uh, show up at adoption events and somebody is you know, seven months pregnant, and they've already got two toddlers in tow. And it's like, is now the time for a puppy. I, you know, have you really thought about yeah. that? It definitely isn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, it definitely isn't. You know, have you, have you thought it all the way through? And people, I don't, but they're, like you said, they're thinking about the here and now. And I think if we did a better job of thinking it all the way through, thinking about these needs and, you know, maybe making the decision to say, no, this is not right for me. Now's not the right time or whatever. Um, because when we say yes in that spontaneous mode, not only are we doing the wrong thing for ourselves in the animal, but we're perpetuating the entire issue. Yeah. If, if more people said no. I'm not going to get a cat because I can't keep it. Uh, you know, I can't allow it to go outdoors. Then the cat population, like you said, would would be less over time because there would be no place for the cats to go, kind of thing. And so maybe that's what needs to happen. Instead of being part of the problem, be part of the longer term solution for.
1: Mm. You know, but I think that's the thing, isn't it?
0: Overpopulation it's, issue.
1: Yeah, exactly, and it, it's about people. Being um, honest with themselves about whether they can meet that, you know, those animals' needs and what the the wider implications are. Um, you know, I think as humans, we we're not used to denying ourselves stuff. All right.
0: Well, and we like to think that we we're going to do the right thing. And as you know, maybe it's not even a matter of am I going to not meet the animal's needs? But is there, you know, if I left that animal where it was, whoever that may be, whether it's with the breeder or at the shelter or at the rescue, is there somebody that's going to come along that's going to meet their needs better? And that's, you know, that's oftentimes when we reject somebody, especially when we have the luxury of having multiple people applying, let's say for the same animal, it's not that you're not okay. (laughs) But we feel like this other person has whatever it may be, the experience, the like you said the the property the uh, environment the whatever it might be that can do just that much better and and our responsibility we feel like in taking these animals in is to find that person that to the best of our ability we've identified that can best meet all of that animal's needs and that's you know and at that point then i can sleep at night with yeah. what i've done in letting that animal go out the door yeah
1: and and I mean, working in adoption is, you know, <laughs> I think that you, you you've got such, you know, that's a massive responsibility for anyone, and you know, I don't know if you if you have an issue with it. There, I'm sure you do, because it's human psychology. But we, um, I've been involved with quite a few cases of hoarding. We, we had this one time that the the practice I was working at took in. I think they had eighty eighty dogs. And 20 cats or something all brought came in from one house. And the animals were just appalling. You know, overgrown nails, matted fur, abscesses, teeth falling out. And the owner genuinely thought that no one else could look after the animals as well as her, but was completely overwhelmed by it. And obviously there's a huge spectrum of pet owners and um lots of people are doing a great job you know i don't want to sound really negative about everything
0: final thoughts anything any other point that you want to make to kind of wrap things up i think if, if i could change the world of pet keeping i think from the breed point
1: of view obviously we talked we touched on the the massive breed suffering from extreme confirmation but if i could change stuff i would get people to research the live welfare needs of any animal that they were going to take on and do the practice month. You know, I did it for the kids' books. But actually, we should all be asking ourselves whether we can meet those needs and and know what those needs are. Um, And if you can't, be honest with yourself. You know, look at a different pet that you might not have considered. And I would say to people, I'm not saying you can't have breeds. You know, lots of people say to me, oh, you want to get rid of all the breeds. I don't. I I wouldn't care. I think mongrels are great. You know, we fell in love with dogs as humans. Why aren't we happy with them as just dogs anymore? But say we've got 300 and something breeds that are recognised by the International Kennel Club. If we took out 30 that have got extreme conformation and suffer because of it, say 30, 40 maybe, you've still got... 300 other breeds of dog you can pick. You know, that's just pick
0: something yeah, just pick something that's moderate and healthy. Um Emma, this has been a a great conversation. I could probably talk about another hour on this on this subject with you because it's just uh, uh number one, you've given me a lot of food for thought personally and and my wheels are already turning and things that I can adjust. Um you know, I was even just just here at this very last moment, thinking about how can I incorporate these needs into our adoption application more effectively, if nothing else, to do that pre-education before Mm. people adopt. I mean, we we try to have conversations with people. We don't just like let animals go out the door, but to really dig into what it is that this animal is going to need and, you know, Think on that for 48 hours and then let's have another conversation kind of thing to really, um, you know, get people started down the right road in selecting the right pet for them. And digging past that superficial level and really getting down into it, I think too, because I think mm. it would, like we said, it's, it would be real easy to say, of course I can do this. Of course I can do this. I could, you know, but what do you, do you really know what that means? You know, do you really know what normal behavior is? Do you really know what environment that animal needs and really dig down into it? That's, you know, that's the whole reason we have this podcast is, is for education. So I'm hoping that um, I know that you have educated me and really opened my eyes to some things. And I'm hoping that people who listen to this. Even if they initially get a little bit angry or feel a little bit accused or, you know, I think if you are feeling a little defensive when you listen to this, there's probably a reason for that. And mm. so take that deep breath, think about it for 24 hours and then say, is there truth to that? And mm. you know, could I maybe have made a different decision? I'm already rethinking my own along the way as far as my future with cats and, and how I'm going to manage that. So I think the, the so thing much is, we're,
1: time. we're all guilty of it. I had three cats before. Yeah. Um, that all live together and I'm sure two of them weren't particularly happy with that situation and now I would never have a cat on its own uh, uh, that wasn't a a solitary cat now but um, yeah no it's been a real pleasure I'm sure I could carry on talking for for another three days probably
0: right well I thank you so much for your time and I thank everybody uh, for listening to another episode of Starlight Pet Talk thanks for listening to Starlight Pet Talk Be sure to visit our website at www.starlightpettalk.com for more resources and be sure to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast app so you'll never miss a show. If you enjoyed and found value in today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be great too. Don't forget to tune in next week and every week for a brand new episode of Starlight Pet Talk. And if you don't do anything else this week, give your pets a big hug from us.